Uh, I chose this morning to put on one of two sweaters that are comfortable enough in 40 to 50 degree weather. Um, I have others that are thicker, but no, not going to do that. Uh, other choices were made for me this morning. Uh, whether or not my children were going to wake up before I left, that was a choice they made on their own, uh, which made any time of solitude and silence, uh, well, it just didn't exist. And uh, so I left early. Um, we have all kinds of choices that we can make, all kinds of things that we do to grow in our Christian faith. And I want to show you uh, several thoughts from the book of Philippians, but I also want to introduce you to a couple of people. And I'm going to make a strange request. Can we get the lights turned on so I can see your faces? Because this is all cool, but all, every time I look up, all I see is dots. No, <sighs> What a lovely group you are. Okay, <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. For you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Apostle Paul starts off this part of the book with the mention of two people. And I want you to think for just a moment, if there were chronicles written about this church a hundred years from now, what would the word say about you? These two ladies, we know nothing of them um, except what's written here in verse 2 and a little bit of verse 3. It's assumed by a lot of scholars that these two uh, were there who were present, who were some of the first converts in Philippi. They were there with Lydia. They were faithful servants. And they were serving side by side. They were doing things of great value. And then instead of serving shoulder to shoulder, they're now serving face to face with disagreements and problems and, and the like. And the Apostle Paul comes alongside and says, 
this just is not the way it should be. Now, in my Baptist background, I have no problem imagining what this would look like with uh, two people not getting along well in the church. I don't know what that's like here yet. Um, but so far, nobody's died, so I guess we're in a good state. But as I think through this, this is the only word that is spoken of them, that they're in disagreement. And he says to this, this true companion, whoever this is, whether uh, that's his actual name or it's, it's somebody who could be Lydia or Timothy or somebody else, he says, come alongside and help them. And these two verses, there have already been two choices. You may not have seen them yet. The first choice is to be at peace with other believers. The second choice is if you know of two believers who are not at peace with each other, be a peacemaker. But those aren't the choices I really want to dwell on today because those are addressed to two or three specific people. Today I want to get into the message the rest of the body is addressed to. He starts off in verse 4 and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. No less than 16 times the Apostle Paul uses some form of joy in the book to Philippians, in the letter to the Philippian church. This is one of his favorite places. It's one of his favorite groups of people. He says rejoice. It's an interesting thought when we understand his circumstances. He's in prison. And he's speaking to a people that he loves dearly. And he says rejoice. Now notice it's not a question. It's not a if you feel like it. It's not a conditional statement. It's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Now I hear those words and I'm reminded of, of some thoughts that kind of go along with that. How can I rejoice when this is going on? Well, there's a difference in joy and happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. Happiness is based on circumstances. Happiness is based on whether or not my circumstances meet my expectations. Joy, on the other hand, is a confident assurance that God is in control no matter what's happening in our circumstances. So when the Apostle Paul says rejoice twice in this verse, what he is saying is, Choose joy. Choose a confident assurance that God is in control no matter what's happening in your circumstances. And he's going to build a case to help us see how to do that. My wife and I have said this to each other for as long as we can remember. We heard it growing up in our youth ministries and stuff where the, the thought is joy is a choice. Something we can choose to do or not to do. The Apostle Paul says rejoice. Choose joy in the midst of your circumstances. He says, let your reasonableness, your other translations may say, let your gentle spirit be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. As joy becomes part of who we are, the, the winsome character of the believer becomes more and more apparent. The picture of someone who is intentionally walking through some things with their head still held high, even though their circumstances would give them reason to hang it low. It's winsome. It draws people in. And then he says in verse 6 something very, very interesting. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Again, another command, another choice. Do not be anxious. Do not be worried. Do not be stressed out about anything, even if they are playing today. Uh, do not be anxious about those things. Jesus would take it a step further. and He says, you know, being anxious really doesn't help you any. Don't worry about anything. You can't add to your stature. You can't change the color of your hair from gray to black or the other way around. Um, now, I guess worrying can go from black to gray. Uh, so I'm told. I don't know yet. Um, but there's this thought that we're to be anxious for nothing. 
Well, how in the world do you do that? I mean, I'm thinking about it all the time. Somebody once said that if you can worry, you can meditate. If you can rehearse something over and over and over in a problem that's in your heart and in your mind, you can turn that same thing into meditation and prayer. Anybody who can spend a lot of time being flustered about something can spend that same amount of time thinking about it and offering it to God. And it's a very different experience. Now notice again, it says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. It's a command. Again, another choice. But you don't know, you can hear it, Wes, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what's happening at work. You don't know what's happening in my family. You don't know what's happening with my friends. You don't know about the disease that only I and God know about. You're right, I don't. The Apostle Paul doesn't either. But he offers the same advice. Be anxious for nothing. Here's how. Cover everything with prayer. Asking for God's blessing with supplication. Asking for His provision. And with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We have no problem many times making our requests known to God. Sometimes with a a shaking fist, sometimes with outpoured cries, but seldom with thanksgiving. Here's how that looks. God, I don't understand this situation. I don't understand why these things keep happening, but I know you're in control. My life is falling apart, but I am thankful, God, that you are faithful that you are steady, that you are sure, because in the midst of that, I can have hope. And not a hope that I can manufacture, not a hope that I can make, because that doesn't ever hold. He says, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. This isn't informing him. We aren't saying to God, oh, by the way, um, in case you missed it, this is what's happening in my life. God doesn't need our information doesn't need anything. He's well aware of what's going on, but he wants us to bring our request to him so that we acknowledge him in the midst of the things that we're facing. And then in verse 7, notice this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 is the first thing that we can't do. Is the first choice we can't make. The peace of God is not something I can manufacture and put in a bottle. Trust me, if I could, I would be rich. And so would somebody else because I can't figure out bottling processes. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it. We can't put it in a bottle. We can't sell it. We can't do anything. We can't make that happen. The only way that happens is when we completely and totally put our lives before God, no matter what we're facing, and allow Him to be our peace. Because here's the thing, if peace were in a bottle, we could drink it or we could take it. But what happens when those fade? That peace is short-lived if it works at all. But this peace, which surpasses our understanding, we can't even figure out where it comes from or why it works. All we know is that it comes from God and in the midst of situations that we can't fix, God gives peace. In the midst of terminal diseases and we pray and we pray and we pray and we don't know how it's going to come out in the midst of loss of job and just so many things that get placed there and we pray and we pray and we pray and we don't know what that looks like and God provides peace 
verse 19 will say, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. And that may not be that He provides the physical need. I have need for whatever it is. It may very well be that the provision He gives us is the ability to stand while He provides something else. While we walk through a a trial, while we walk through a struggle, while we walk through something that is beyond our control and God gives us strength that we never had before, that provides our need. I can say in my 37 years of life, God is faithful. I have never been at a point where God didn't provide my needs, ever. And that same God who has been faithful to me is faithful to his people and will take care of you. And maybe that provision looks like, I will bring you through this. And you'll be able to take it one step at a time as you grieve. I will bring you through this as your heart breaks and you don't know what the next day is going to bring. I will, I will meet your need. It may be that you're looking at it going, I don't know how I'm going to pay for lunch tomorrow. I'm not saying that you're going to get a, a $5 coupon for a Happy Meal. But I am saying that God will provide your need. God is faithful and He keeps His promise. Now notice it says, be anxious for nothing, but then it moves on again and it gives us something else to do. Peace of God. Now in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever lines up with the truth of God's word, whatever is honorable, whatever is morally excellent, whatever is just and pure and lovely, think on these things. Here's why you have an enemy who wants to tell you other stuff. And sometimes that enemy's us. I'm not worthy of God's attention. I'm not worthy of God fixing this problem. I'm not worthy of these things. And those things are not true. They're true in the sense that we don't deserve anything that God gives us. They're not true in the sense that God refuses to give them to us. As we move into next week of Advent and thinking about Christmas and all those things, one of the greatest things that we can think about is this idea of Emmanuel, God with us. So he gives us this command, dwell on things that are true and right and pure and lovely and and, As you dwell on these things, there's no room for anything else. But again, that's a choice. It's easy when we sit down to our social media of choice. I realize if I say Facebook, that covers most of the adults. Um, Twitter or whatever else you're working with. Um, It's really easy to look at that and go, there's a lot of negative. It's really easy to see those things. And then you see those, I don't know if you've seen this, where people are like, and this is day 21 or 22 or 23 or whatever day it is of things I'm thankful for. And you're thinking, but the rest of the time, you're whining and griping and complaining. This just doesn't... But what if we as God's people began to to speak of the things that we're thinking about that are on these lines? Facebook pulpits would look very different. And the encouragement here, the, the command here is... Think on these things, not those things. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What you have learned by experience and have put into practice for yourself, what you have uh, 
received but not quite gotten hold of, what you have heard and seen but are still working on how this work in my life, put those things into practice. The Apostle Paul offers himself as an example and says, I'm doing it this way, and if you follow this, it works. Imagine him standing before you today. And he's saying, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been stoned twice, not stoned from the 60s, but stoned with rocks, left for dead, all these kinds of things. I'm in prison presently, and in the midst of this, I choose joy. Follow that example. I dare say most of us are not in prison right now. Most of us may have not been stoned in either sense of the word, and I don't want to hear testimonies at this point. But he stands before us and he says, choose to rejoice. As we move into this time of of thanksgiving, as we move into this, this time of year, let it be something about us that is winsome and different. But there's another part. Look at verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, for you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Did you catch that? I've learned to be content. Content, satisfied in God's provision now. We always find ourselves, not always, but often find ourselves yearning for something in the future. When in reality, we need to be content with where we are now. The sign of a believer who is content in the good and the bad is a sign of a believer who's growing in their faith. Yesterday, we had our Thanksgiving meal with Beth's family. And uh, Melody's not in here, so I'm going to pick on her a little bit. Um, Anyway, in the midst of this, toward the end, as we've eaten together, and there's ten of us around the table, and we celebrated Avery's third birthday, um, which is, uh, we started off a tradition that we've done for a couple of years now, where we take a moment, and we reflect on the year, and we ask one thing you're thankful for. So we started with Emily, my five-year-old. And she's like, I'm thankful that it's Avery's birthday. And I, you know, she's five, so she's, she's not stretching, she's, that's what's on her mind. And so we move around, and then Beth's mom, and then uh, Melody, and then Beth's dad, and then Nathan, and then um, Beth's sister, then Jeremiah, then Beth, then Avery didn't say anything, and then me. Uh, and each one of us, as we went through, uh, we started noticing a pattern. We all started saying family. We all started saying family, which is a really big deal. But we're almost getting to the point where we're apologizing for it. I know everybody said it, but I'm thankful for family. And we kind of, but we really were thankful for that. And we reflected back through some of the year and we got to the end of it all. And Nathan made some crack about, uh, I'm thankful that I didn't get, and it was punished for something. I don't know what it was. I don't remember. And he brought something up. (coughs) Well, then Melody says something in response to that. Melody's my 13 year old. She said something in response to that. It brought it up on him. Well, he brought something up that she did. And she, they're in generalities, but they're starting to bite at each other. We've just had this splendid moment of all the things that we're thankful for. And we come, we, round, we don't even really round the corner. I finished my last breath. I was like, remember to share, you know, and 
So we pause for a minute. I said, wait, 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 wait a minute. I want you to think about this for just a second. The grace that we've been given, the forgiveness that we've been given by God means that we don't have to bring that stuff up anymore. He doesn't. He has not stirred to act on those things anymore, and we shouldn't be either. So we can't bring those things up. Now, it's a learning experience. But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to do. Learn how to do those things. Sometimes we're going to get it. and We're going to be, I am totally content with where I am. And sometimes we're going to look around and go, I'm not as content as I want to be. And I'm not content about being not content. And the cycle continues and we find ourselves in a bad place. And I want, you, I want to encourage you with this. It's a learned process. As we grow in our faith, as we grow in our, our walk with Christ, it becomes something that we can look at fullness and go, ah, I am content. And we can look at moments where we may not be, quote, as full and still be content. But the process starts before then. The process starts, I say this often, fortify the city before there's a battle. In other words, think on these things in verse 8 happens before we start talking about the contentment stuff in 11 and 12. We begin to, to shore up the house before the flood comes. The sandbags go before the water's coming in the door. Maybe we're in the midst of struggle now and we need to step back and go, how can I see this differently? What is it that I do have in the midst of these things? And all of a sudden, we can begin to begin building our contentment sandbags against the flood of discontent. Or maybe you're in a a good spot right now. Again, fortify the city before there's a battle. Maybe some of you are White Christmas movie watchers. It's almost that time to pull out White Christmas, good old Bing Crosby. Uh, If you have not seen this movie, um, rent it now. Uh, watch it at least once over the Christmas season. Uh, it's it's well, it's it's good to great at times. But there's this part where Bing is is singing and he's talking about counting your blessings. When he can't sleep, he counts his blessings instead of sheep. Some of you all have that song in your head. The rest of the day, you can thank me later. Um, but what a great reminder to be content with what we have, to be content with where we are. And that may be that the contentment comes when things aren't the greatest. But Paul says, I've learned to be content when things are good and when things are not so good because my happiness isn't based, my happiness is based on my circumstances, but my joy is based on who Christ is. And it looks very, very different. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't tell you how many ways I've heard that verse misused. And it's so heartbreaking because the idea is I've learned to be content. And that's a struggle. When we're not content, I can do all things. I can be content in the midst of circumstances that are less than. A lot of people want to use this in a bunch of different ways. I'm going to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I took this... (coughs) up Mount Kilimanjaro, I wouldn't make it to base camp. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's go. No, no, no. That's a terrible misuse of that verse. But often that's how we want to use it. We can apply it to other things, but we have to first understand that in its context, it's talking about learning to be content. And I want you to consider this for a moment. 
that my iPad doesn't want to work. There we go. Um, that when we say I can do all things, we can learn to be content. He moves on and then he gets to this last thought. Because it's not just being content. It's being content. It's having this, this joy, this peace, this, this desire to be thankful that will propel us to do something. Notice what he says, picking up in verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He says, you took care of me. You had opportunity. This wasn't a, a super wealthy church, but they met his needs. They looked ahead and they said, you're going to need help here. And this was one of Paul's favorite churches because they understood what it meant to look out beyond themselves. They understood what it looked like to, to meet the needs of someone else. He said, even in Thessalonica, oh, it's just a little bit up the road. You met my needs. You took care of my needs. And I'm not out with my hand going, please meet my needs. What I'm saying is, I'm grateful that you have, saw, have seen fit to give to my needs. You met something that you saw was present and you did nothing uh, to think of yourselves in the midst of that. I've received it in full and I, I'm so thankful for that because it is an acceptable and sac pleasing sacrifice to God. And then he says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I can't pay you back, but I belong to the Lord. Just put it on his tab. Because he can take care of your needs as you have met my needs, as you have gone to sacrifice at this point to take care of me. Now look at this for us. As we learn to be people of the word, as we learn to be people of Christ, it must compel us to service. As we look at what we have, as we look at what God has given us, and we, we find contentment in that. Let us then look around and see how we can meet the needs of others. Let us then look around and go, my God has supplied all of my needs. He's met everyone. How can I then meet your needs? How could I then encourage you to walk in this? So again, you've got several choices before you. Several things on which to dwell and several things that you must choose today what you're going to do. Are you going to choose to rejoice? Are you going to choose to harbor bitterness? Are you going to choose to, to think on things that are good and right and pure or things that are not? Are you going to choose to learn how to be content or are you going to be continually looking at what others have and you do not? Are you going to choose today to look beyond yourself and meet the needs of someone else? Now maybe you saw some other choices. Maybe you saw some other things in the midst of this passage that are yours to do. Let me encourage you. Put your hand to it. What God has spoken to you may be very different than what He's spoken to the person sitting right next to you. Follow in obedience. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, 
in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I don't know what you may be struggling with today, but I know our God is faithful. I don't know what you may be walking through today that nobody else knows about, but I know our God provides. Maybe it's been a while since you've had a good conversation with Him. Maybe you talked to Him this morning. He knows your needs. He already knows them. But he's waiting on you to acknowledge your need for him in the midst of them. Are you content? Are you thankful? Begin today. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for how you have blessed us. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Father, that we are known by you. Lord, I pray for those whose hearts are heavy today. And I pray that you would help them to see you in the midst of it. I pray for those whose hearts are joyful today. Help them not lose sight of who you are. Father, thank you again for your great and marvelous love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.